So, we are a privileged people, aren't we? Did you ever just stop and think about that? The fact that, by the way, this thing weighs like 500 pounds. I'm not a prima donna. I don't need like help all the time. It's just, it takes a large, takes, takes a big man to wrestle this thing around. We normally have to call TJ in to help. It's, whew, Jake had to bring water for after that. <laughs> I want to switch gears with you just a little bit today from where I was headed. I'm going to share what um, I had, but then I want to kind of shift gears into Redeemer City Church and into uh, who we are a little bit. But uh, we will be in Colossians chapter 4, so you can turn there. Uh, there's some notes for you today that you're going to want to grab out of your worship guide, or you can get on the Version Bible app and go under Events. And find us there. But uh, you will want to follow along today. We have trekked all the way through the book of Colossians. And if you can boil it all down, uh, you can really lean into the fact that Christ is enough for you. We just really boil that down. And at the end of the day, no matter where you are in life, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what has fallen apart or what has died, Jesus is enough for you. The Bible literally tells us that in Him all things hold together. Just process that for a second. John fifteen five, Jesus looked at His disciples and by Scripture, he looks you in the eye and says that apart from him, you can do nothing. Let that sink in for a second. Because I look around the room and I know all of you just about. And I know that nothing for probably all of you is simply not an option. I mean, just think about it. Just think about if you just decided today, I'm going to do nothing. What would that do to most of your brains? You would be like, you'd go insane. And yet, Scripture speaks all the time, almost all the time, of connecting with God when you're still. Of connecting with God in the silence. And then even, we have a picture in the Old Testament of hurricanes and tornadoes happening all around the man of God. And yet it says, he spoke, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit spoke in a still, small voice. There are some pillars to doing life as a church. And one of those is that you gather in here on Sunday... As God's people. And for just a moment, I was having a conversation with somebody this week and they're like, you know, like you probably have people in your in your church that that are like pretty high level people, like like they could tell you what to do. And I'm like, yeah, it happens all the time. And uh, totally get that. I was like, it, it is a weird and humbling thing to have people that are smarter than you sitting there listening to you. It is like a weird. But 
The reason that I can do that is because I'm not speaking. God's speaking. That's why we study the Bible. Because you don't need what I have to say. You don't need six tips from Pastor Mitch. <laughs> Things would start going the wrong direction, if you know what I'm saying. We'd, we'd bring one of you up here for sure if we were just doing like six tips, right? But there, there, there is a sacred thing at play when the church gathers. Because let's be real. If I walked around and had a little one-on-one with each of you, the reality is, is that things aren't all good. Um, you are not all good. And we all have this common need for a Savior. We did to come into the family of God, and we do to be sustained in the family of God. But out of that, when, when we experience that, and when we live in that place, there are some benefits that flow from that that are pretty incredible. And so as we've come through Colossians and we, we've been on the mountaintops of theology, the, the mountaintops of our doctrine, that Jesus gave himself up for you and he is king of all. I mean, that, that's just enough for you. And yet out of that, Paul goes through this book and, and we get all kinds of amazing things. You know, if you, we just trek back and just look at some of the highlights, what we started in this idea that just as you received Christ, you should walk in Him. Have you ever wondered why sin just becomes so big and big and big and big and temptation becomes so enthralling and enthralling? It's because we stopped and moved out of that place where Christ rescued your soul. Where, where then in that next section we went to where it says you're dead in your sins and God forgave you and canceled the debt which stood against you and condemned you and nailed it to the cross. Triumphing over them by the cross. What an awesome thing. And then we come to the end of the book. And last week we talked about devoting ourselves to prayer. If you were to give yourself a report card between last Sunday and this Sunday, how'd it go? How did you do devoting yourselves to prayer, being watchful, eyes up, and thankful for what God is doing? Being wise in your speech towards those who aren't in Christ. How did that go? <laughs> some of you called me and told me how it went, and it was awesome. You had some incredible stories by just... Committing, devoting yourselves to praying and having your eyes open. But what about in here? What about in here? We spend most of our time saying that the things that happen in here propel you out there. And we're going to land there at the end of the sermon today. But this passage, when you just glance at it. At the end of a book, and Paul saying hello to certain people and uh, thanking God for certain people, we're tempted to think that there's not a whole lot there for me. That it's just some regular signing off of a letter. But I want to point out to you that in Paul's 
end of the book here, he gives us some of the pillars of doing life together. Of you and I interacting and confessing sins to each other and living with each other and worshiping God together. There's just six things that jumped out and they're not tips. They're not things you can do better. They're six realities. They're six pillars of what we get to have in this body that Christ is building. This spiritual house that he's building. And when we talk about Easter and and you inviting people and getting people in the door and taking, uh, as we talked about last week, making the most of every opportunity in this culture, Easter is an opportunity for you to connect with those you know who are lost. But let's say they come. Let's say they hear the good news about Christ. And they surrender and confess Jesus as Lord. And the Holy Spirit draws them to himself. Then what? There is an attractive quality to what you and I have together that God brings people into as a family. You hear us talk about being a family a lot. And I want to just look at a few of the things that Paul does kind of in passing but that you and I can learn a lot from about the benefits of doing life together, about the benefits of being here when you're tired, about the benefits of being here when things aren't good, about the benefit of looking each other in the eye. And so go to Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And I just want to read to the end of the chapter, verse 18, and get... Uh, the framework for the ending of Paul's letter, for his signature, if you will. And I want to give you some things uh, that, are, that are going on here that you and I can learn from. So, Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus, or Tychicus, whichever you prefer, will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You received instructions about him. If he comes to you, Welcome him. By the way, those instructions about Mark are pretty interesting because if you know your Bible at all, it was back in the Gospels that uh, Mark and Paul had a little bit of a disagreement. And Mark became, if I remember correctly, useless to Paul. (laughs) Now suddenly he's useful to Paul. See, that's another thing. we We tend to like think that Paul, when he graduated from killing Christians to, um, being a Christian and a great evangelist and a great pastor and a great church planter and an apostle and all the incredible things he did, um, he wasn't perfect. There were a few times where Paul wasn't exactly gracious, right? We tend to put people on a pedestal. But Paul's doing something here that's really important. So because these are details that we needed connected to that other story. Paul's Restoring relationships here. Verse 11, Jesus, 
you imagine that? And let's just be real. After everything that just happened, Jesus went to the cross, and your mom got named you Jesus. Come on. So Paul says, not that one. The one who's called justice also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. He's talking about diversity. There's some Jews, there's some Gentiles, and they're serving the Lord together. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. Listen to this statement. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, See to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. It's widely thought that Paul, the reason Paul says that at the end is widely thought that he would use uh, somebody to write for him. He would dictate and they would uh, write for him. What's that called? An amanuasis or something like that? I forget. There's a cool word for it. But why study this? It just sounds like, tell John I said hi, tell Bill he's doing a great job, <laughs> tell Jake he better complete his ministry, get to work, right? Like, why write, why, why God did you give that to us in the Bible? Because, <laughs> I mean, you just, you go back to some of these things, that these these monumental statements that Paul makes, like back in chapter 2, verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And we're like, yeah, we need to unpack that. But what about, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. <laughs> what? What are you trying to tell us, God? I think that there's at least six things we can look for here and draw encouragement from as to why Paul puts this in Holy Scripture. The first one that I want you to write down from verse 7 is communication. Communication. Face-to-face, good old-fashioned communication. It says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me I'm sending him for the express purpose, verse 8, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. There's two kinds of communication happening here. Paul, in the end of this letter, he's given us these amazing things and then he brings to us at the end of the chapter some important details about what we're supposed to do when we gather around this Bible. One of the things that Ben was talking about with Francis Chan when he was speaking is that 
We tend to reduce the church down to one person standing up front telling all of the people what God wants them to know and then going about our lives and repeating the same thing the following week. It was never God's intention for the church. It was never God's intention for the church. You can't find support for that anywhere in the Bible. Because what the Bible says is that my job and the other pastors that get up here, whether it be through leading worship or whether it be through the preaching of the word or whether it be through leading a city group or whatever it is, the Bible tells us that our job as pastors is to equip you for the work of ministry. Like if, if the elders of this church were to reformulate a job description for me, they wouldn't have to do anything else but write down that I should pray a lot and then I should equip you for ministry. That's my job. And so what, what I'm telling you here is that when Paul says that this other guy is going to come and communicate with them, um, that's an important thing. You don't need me to be the church. I have an important role here, but you can communicate with each other about the truth of God's word and then go do the ministry that God has called you to do. And so Paul's communicating here an important thing because he says, I'm sending him for the express purpose that you would know about our circumstances. He's communicating. He's putting the cards on the table. I, I wonder today, if you were to be honest with me, have you ever communicated with somebody in this body of Christ, this church, Redeemer City Church, all about your circumstances? For some of you, that's really easy. <laughs> Just lay it all on the table. But there's others of you that that's really difficult. But if I tell somebody that, they're going to look at me different. If I tell somebody that, and this subconsciously happens, that for whatever reason we, we feel vulnerable in that, and then we lose one of the most important and great aspects about the body of Christ. You need to communicate with someone in this church the full depth and width of your circumstances. The people around you need to be in on who you are. Why is that important? Look at the second thing that he gives us here. He says, I've sent him for the express purpose that you would know about our circumstances. And, and what would he do out of that? That he may encourage your hearts. Anybody in the room today feel like some, they need somebody to encourage their heart? And all God's people said, <laughs> amen, right? Like, we need that. We need that. I mean, like, for all that Paul just wrote to them in Colossians, why in the world would they need somebody else to come and encourage their hearts? I mean, look, listen to some of this. I mean, there's some great stuff there. And then Paul says, but I'm also going to send, I'm also going to send my, my brother to come encourage your heart. That's significant. It's small, but it's significant. 
he, he says that Tychicus is going to do that. And that God is sending him to do that. More ministry happens outside of these walls than does inside of these walls when I preach at you. If you and I want to see these seats get filled on Sunday, it will have very little to do with what I can do up here. If you want the people that come and hear Christ Easter Sunday to come back and get connected to the church, it will not likely be because of my eloquent preaching on stage. Even if they like it, even if they were entertained by it, even if God spoke to them through it, the Bible makes no bones about the fact that He has built this spiritual house and you need each other to keep each other in. And yes, there's an aspect where I'm a shepherd and I'm running around and if the one runs away, I leave you 99 and I go to the one. Like, that's all part of it. But God's called you to do life together. God's called you to be there for each other. Elsewhere in Scripture it says, carry each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. You want to do what God's called you to do at church? Get to know somebody. Communicate the depth of your circumstances with another human being in this room. And then encourage their heart. Sometimes encouraging someone's heart means helping them break free from sin. Sometimes encouraging people's hearts means that you encourage them when they're down. That you pray for them when they go to work. And we could go on and on and on, but communicate the depth of who you are. He also gives a bunch of instruction here in that communication. Things that the church is supposed to do, like welcome Mark in and tell Onesimus about faithful brother. He's going to tell you everything that's happening here. He goes on and he tells, he tells uh, Archippus to complete his ministry that he received in the Lord. Why, why, why did Archippus need to be told that? But we don't know. We don't know, but maybe, maybe he was a, a, a young pastor who God had raised up for ministry. You know what can encourage a young pastor more than anything? When they get up to preach? Be engaged. Be engaged. Ben's like, amen. Don't sleep. <laughs> The church is the training ground for ministry. It's a training ground for ministry. And by the way, I don't just call people to ministry. The elders of the church may confirm that, but it's you, the body of Christ, who sends people into ministry, who calls pastors. See, because if we call a pastor and you're like, mm, uh, he doesn't, he's not a good pastor. Like, we won't call them. Because it's one of the roles that God gave you. When we talk about church membership, you know, the Bible says, you know, whatever, whatever you loose here on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven. There's some serious responsibility put on the body of Christ. Communicate. 
communicate and encourage each other. You're affirming gifts and affirming uh, the forsaking of sin and the putting it to death. And we go on and on and on. But bottom line is, Paul's saying here that you have a role. They didn't need Paul to come back and preach on Sunday. Paul's in prison. We're in trouble. (laughs) Paul would have been devastated by the fact that numbers drop when the main preacher goes away. We would have we would have gotten a letter for that. <laughs> there'd be a there'd be a there'd be some Bible verses for that in the 21st century United States of America, right? Because who who are you here to hear from? You can talk. He gave you a voice, God, right? And so, what I'm saying to you is, you have something to do with what God does here. And most of you are really good at it. I love, I love being a part of this church. You know, when you hang around after and you're doing life and I hear about all the things you're doing through the week together. That's awesome. Awesome. Another one, a third one here, is celebration. You'll, you'll notice in verse 7, 8, and 9 there, he, he basically, it sounds like he says the same thing twice, doesn't it? Where he says, I'm sending Tychicus so that he'll let you know all about our circumstances. But he's also coming with Onesimus, verse 9, our faithful dear brother, who is one of you. And they will tell you everything that is happening here. You want to know what else Paul was really good at if you pay attention to all of his letters? Celebrating what God is doing all around the world. Do you ever just feel down about the church? Do you ever just feel down like people don't care? People are lethargic spiritually, you know, and like, you ever just get down on what, you know, what is happening? You hear reports about how the church is spiraling into the depths of nothing in America. Paul celebrated the things that God was doing all over the place because he is. One of the things that will encourage your heart is when we together celebrate all that God is doing. We can go down the list at this church. Some of you are sitting here and it's a, it's, a, it's a foregone miracle that you're sitting in church today. Some of you that we've baptized, it is an absolute miracle that you got in the waters of baptism. Some of you that have joined this church, you really had no intention a year, two years ago of ever joining a church. Some of you came to church here and you're like, what are you guys doing? You sing a lot. You, you know, you, you talk for a long time. <laughs> you know, I was just looking for a couple, couple prayers to say and on my way. And you've become engrossed in what God's doing here. God is at work. Amen. Some of you called me this week and told me about when you shared Christ with somebody. I mean, in the places you did it, I just was laughing all week. It was awesome. From the bar to the office to parking lots, just amazing stuff that God is doing. I've been really working hard this past week to do that eyes open, like who is around me. And it's fascinating 
I mean, I had a guy knock on my door yesterday and just like want to like sell me something. He didn't want to sell me something, but you're like, you want to sell me something. You know, you're just, God just brings people on your path. That's it. All of it. They'll sell you your own grass, I'm telling you. God's bringing people in your path to share Christ. Be encouraged by that. So many times we get scared by that. Be encouraged by that. And celebrate what God's doing. God is working. And then, and then another one there where he, he goes through. You notice that he was mentioning who was one of him and who was one of them. Is that because he was racist? <laughs> no. Why, why was he mentioning that? Because diversity is a great thing. Like every one of you come from a different place and a different background, and you bring a different gift to the table. In many ways, we're only as strong as we are diverse, aren't we? If you were all just like me, we would might as well not come. If we weren't all different, we wouldn't be nearly as strong as we are. It's an incredible gift. Many colors, many gifts, many... Whatever God wants to do. It's pretty awesome. Some of you are really good at stuff that I am really bad at. Diversity. And then one that, that I think we need to spend more time on together and not feel awkward about it. The next one there is prayer. Prayer. What an awesome thing in verse 12 at the end when it says that Epaphras, who's one of you, he's doing life with you, he's sitting in the seats where you're sitting, is always wrestling in prayer for you. Anybody in the church need for somebody to wrestle in prayer for them? I know some of you need people to wrestle in prayer for you. I know it. It's a first response, not a last resort. In their prayers, they're praising God and building up others. And then in the very last verse, we, we see even Paul ask them to remember him in prayer. He's making requests. Remember my chains. Did, did Paul just want them to remember his chains? Like, oh yeah, Paul's in chains. I wonder if they're big chains or little chains. or I wonder if they're tight or loose. I wonder if he could slip out of them. Maybe he could slip out of them. You know, is that what Paul's wanting them to do? That's not what Paul's wanting them to do. Paul's, knowing Paul from his letters, he's probably not even wanting them to pray that he gets released. What was Paul wanting? And to pray that he would be faithful. Some of you have chains. Spiritual chains on your life. Sin. You need somebody to wrestle in prayer for you. That God would do what only God can do. Some of you need to today, before you even walk out of this place, get set free from some of the chains that are holding you. Maybe you've been playing a game. You're not following Jesus. 
Maybe you are a follower of Christ and you're, you're just chained to a certain sin, whether it be pride or lust or whatever it is. Where, where else are you going to go for help? Nobody else has the spiritual power of God than the Holy Spirit working through His church. It's the way God set it up. It's amazing. Just in the little ending of a letter, He's giving significant benefits, significant pillars to how we do life together. These were signing off, but Paul needed that. Paul needed that. And then listen to this. The next one is love. Listen to the language that he's using. All right? And notice that some of these guys needed to be loved and the church needed to be reminded to love them. <laughs> listen to some of this. In verse 13, Paul uses the phrase, I vouch for him. <laughs> Why did he need to be vouched for? Because at some point that guy was lazy or at some point that guy did the wrong thing or whatever the case may be. Or maybe he was living in sin. And Paul says, no, 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 listen, it, he, he's not that anymore. I vouch for him. <laughs> then he calls Luke a dear friend. Verse 7 and verse 9, he uses the phrase dear brother. Verse 11, even that guy proved to be a comfort to me. <laughs> Verse 15, give my greeting to the brothers and sisters. Do you love people? Sounds so elementary, doesn't it? But why did Paul need to put that in? Most, here, most of the time we think, oh, well, they know I love them. They know I love them. Some of you have been married for 10, 15, 20 years. Some of you longer than that. Some of you, not very long at all. Have you ever gotten over hearing your spouse say, I love you? That never gets old. Never gets old. I'm in my mid-30s, and my dad could call me tomorrow and be like, man, I'm really proud of you. I love you. And it would mean the world to me. So, Dad, if you're watching online, get expect a phone call tomorrow. But uh, he will. He'll call me tomorrow now. You watch. And... Uh, there's some basic elements of your human experience as a human being made in the image of God, and one of them is that you need to be loved. You won't make it on your own. You might make it in the eyes of the world, but you won't make it spiritually. You'll get too engrossed in yourself, you'll get too engrossed in your goals, and you'll forget about what God is doing in your midst. And when you think about all that, it, it got me thinking this week about our church. Some, some of the things that we talk about a lot. And some of the things that we need to return to and remind ourselves, this is why we're here. Well, we put those three things back on the wall. Everybody turn and look. Love God. Share good news. Serve the city. Did you know that that's not the mission statement of this church? If you're a member, you should know, because I told you to go read the website about what we believe and why we believe it. That is not the mission of this church. That is the vehicle 
in which we accomplish the vision of this church. Here's the vision of this church. If you have a pen, you should write this down because this is your church. This is your church. Here's why Redeemer City Church exists. And moving forward, we're going to be reminded that this is why we do what we do. Here's what it says. Redeemer City Church exists to share and spread the liberating power of the gospel. Why do we believe that? Why, why you, some of you have asked me at certain points, why start another church? People all around town, why start another church? That's why. Because we exist to share and spread the liberating power of the gospel. Why? Luke chapter 4. Jesus said, I have come so that people might have life. He said, to set the captives free. To give sight to the blind. To set at freedom those who are oppressed. That's why Jesus came. And when he set you free, he's called you to go and set others free. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The Holy Spirit come on you. Not the person sitting next to you. Not the person in front of you. That you, that God called you with your unique gifts and your unique abilities to go and be his witness. We accomplish that by loving God and sharing good news and serving our city. But those aren't the goal. The goal is that people would find freedom in Christ. And so, a clearly defined win for us is that people are being set free. And as we look over the past year and a half, almost two years of a, as a church, we have seen people set free. And it's worth celebrating. God's doing some amazing things. We, we've brought on some partners in a different country in Ethiopia who literally every day are setting people free. That's why we partner with them. That's why you give here. That's why you worship the Lord with your money. Because money doesn't have power over us. God's, been, God's given us money to steward it for his kingdom. That's what we're passionate about. It's, it's how we make decisions about where we spend our time, where we spend our money. How we choose a service project. It's all aimed at people being set free. So sometimes that is the most difficult portion, right? Like we go to the most difficult avenues to share Christ. Because when you do that, only God can do it. We're not rubbing elbows with people who we can just help. Every person you come across doesn't need you. They need Jesus. And so that's why we exist. It's an important clarification. And so when you start to think in those terms, we stop thinking about spending our time or spending our money and we start thinking about investing it. It's a very different concept. Because... What, what we're not about is spending money. What we are about is investing money for the kingdom of God. Investing your time for the kingdom of God. In just our short history, there's been a bazillion ideas about what we could do. And most of them I say no to. Why? 
because we want to make the best investment of our time, best investment of our people, the best investment of our resources so that people can be set free. And if what we're doing can't lead to people being set free, we stop doing it. Because that's our goal. We're not spending, we're investing. Because spending doesn't get a return. Investing does. Jesus is the one who said where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be found. Think about that. Just think about that. You know? Where's all, where's all your money go to? Hopefully, if you're married, you spend some of it on your bride. You dragging with me? If you missed Valentine's Day, no day like the present to make it up. But what about Jesus? Where did Jesus spend his time and effort? I don't think he had much money, but... <laughs> What did he do? What did the Bible say? He gave up his life for the church. What an awesome, awesome thing. So today, some of you, your next step is to pray. To actually pray. To to start developing a lifestyle of prayer. Of just begging God to do what you so obviously for years have not been able to do. Fix your kids. Fix your spouse. Fix your boss. All the things we try to do. You just need to reinvest your heart where God's heart is. In His church. And, and I'm not saying that in a sense of the building, or the stuff, but the people. Invest yourself back into where God has chosen to invest himself. Did you ever think about that? You know, why, did, why did God say he loves a cheerful giver? Because he's a cheerful giver. Why did God say, lay down your life and you'll find it? Because he did. I'm not asking you to do anything he's never done. So some of you, you need to pray. Some of you need to share. Some of you just need to, need to just jump in with both feet and have a conversation with somebody about Jesus. Nothing's more horrifying. <laughs> Nothing's more exhilarating. Nothing's more rewarding than just obeying Christ. Because you get to. It's an incredible thing. Some of, some of you need to give. Some of, some of you just never have given a dime to what God's doing in His church. Building the church. Time to start. Got to do it. Got to do it. Not, nothing ever shook me more than reading the book of Malachi, right? When God comes to His people and says, You've robbed me. And like all of us, they go, how have I robbed you? And God said, in your tithes and offerings. Like, what? 
says, will a man rob God? And listen, there's, there is so much surrounding like how much you should give and what percentage and all that. And there's a bazillion things. And so, someday we'll all go through all that and we'll, we'll talk about it. But at the bottom line, you just need to give. Start somewhere. If you're really forgetful, do automatic giving. I have to. <laughs> if I don't do it, I would rack up a huge bill to, to God. <laughs> not the way it actually works. But. Because why? Because whatever you're mastered by is what's stealing your soul. And in this country, most of us are mastered by our money. Just start. Start somewhere. And see if God doesn't help you realize that you can live without it. And here's the reality. Most of the time, he replaces it beyond what you gave. Now, listen, you've been around here long enough. You know this ain't no health and wealth, prosperity, teaching church, right? Like you're a sinner, you're a bad person, all of that. We talk about all that. God's not going to make you rich. If he does, it's because he wants you to give it away. Like that's, we, we talk about that all the time. So that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if you trust God, and for, maybe it's not money for you. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your relationships. Wh- whatever it is. I don't even know what time it is. I need to stop talking. But uh, so, 